This morning we want to look at a, a text in Luke chapter 5. We'll have it on the screen. It's one of my favorites. I have a goodly number of Bible favorites, and this is on the list. Luke 5, starting in verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, another name in those days for the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats by the lake. Note this, two boats. That reference is important. That We'll come back to that in a moment. He saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked them to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. We're told by scholars of biblical history and and that culture that the idea of sitting down and then teaching was a sign of authority. Only someone with authority would teach in a posture of sitting. And you see that, by the way, in the opening verses of the Sermon on the Mount. Christ went up on that mountain and he sat down and taught, does it again here. So expect something to happen that will demonstrate his authority. Verse 4, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats. These boats keep coming back into the narrative here. They came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. That's not a helpful development when this is your livelihood and you're out in the middle of the sea. The boats begin to sink. The the, the catch was so big. Verse 8, but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, depart from me. For I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats, plural, the boats again, they left everything, including the boats, including the nets, including their equipment, including the anchors, and including the fish. This is not a small moment. They left everything and followed him. There's several things we want to observe in this text. It's actually a very rich passage in the Bible. 
We're calling this Lord of the fish in the sea. Lord of the fish in the sea. First thing to note is Luke is shaping his telling of the story to highlight something, namely things outside our control are not outside his. I mean Christ's. Let's say that again. Things outside our control, and there's lots of things in this category, are not outside his. Peter can't make the fish swim into his nets. He can be out there all night, which is apparently what has just happened, but he can't make the fish swim into the nets. But as the story so dramatically demonstrates, Christ can. The things outside our control are not outside his. This past August, or part of uh, September, Velma and I were down in the States visiting family, and we, were, we went back to the airport for our return flight from Philadelphia uh, to Winnipeg. And as part of that scenario with the airport, I had to insert my uh, credit card into this computer. And they said, insert the card you used to buy these tickets. So I dutifully put the card in. And something went haywire, and it didn't recognize the card. So I went up to the counter. We processed it. We managed to get onto the flight. And then we were going through these multiple sort of time-consuming steps, uh, security and all these different things we had to do. And we were nearly ready to go down to the boarding gate where we would get on. And somehow I realized I didn't have my visa card, my my credit card. And we both wondered, where is it? And we quickly realized, Velma and I, I had very intelligently left the credit card in that computer way back at the entrance to the airport. And we had the clocks ticking away and the departure is not that far away. So me and my dutiful, helpful wife ran, I mean ran, through Philadelphia International Airport. It's a big airport. And we were running through the crowded crowds and all the rest of it, dodging people going down the escalator. You're not supposed to run on an escalator, but we didn't have any choice. We came to this huge bank of these computers, and I said, I remember which one it was. It was this one. I went over and it wasn't there. And Velma says, no, it was, it was this one over here. So to my shock, I went over and there it was. The computer where Velma said it would be. So then we, had, we grabbed the, the, the card. I was just so hugely relieved. It would have been a real mess if we had, hadn't been able to make that flight. We hoofed it all the way back up. And we did indeed manage to get on the plane. However, on the way to the computer I was thinking this whole situation is completely outside of my control. It would be very easy for someone to come along and almost by accident find that card in there and go on a spending spree with my Visa card. That eventuality was something I quickly realized was outside my control. We prayed, we hoofed it. I submitted to my wife in good biblical fashion and said, oh, it was in this computer. I got it. 
We got the car back and we made the flight. It, this mix-up was outside my control, but not outside his. We're all very much in touch at Gateway Church with weather and building construction projects being outside of our control. If you are around this summer, you will know about that. It's one of the reasons we're here and not yet in our really nice building, which we'll eventually get into. But with the weather and the contractors and whatnot, there were things that we faced that we had to realize are outside our control. That's why we're singing about honey from the rock. Outside our control, yes. Outside his control, no. Before I move on from this point, I want to make apply this wonderful truth to something really practical, and that's relationships. In Romans 12, 18, Paul says, As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, there's an insight we can gain in the way Paul makes that statement because he recognizes being a realist that in relationships, there are things that don't depend on us. He says, insofar as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone. Well, we can do our best, and sometimes we will do our best to be at peace, but the peace doesn't happen because it isn't all over to us. Maybe there's other people in the equation who are not being very helpful. What do we do when that happens? Insofar as it depends on you, be at peace. Well, what if the other guy doesn't want to be at peace? Well, we remember the Lord and Savior because the things that are outside our control are not outside his weather, W-E-A-T-H-E-R, weather. Shipments of steel we needed for the building. Relational mix-up, lost credit cards, Lord of the fish in the sea. The things that are outside our control are not outside his. Second thing Luke brings out in this episode. Lord of the fish in the sea. He gives us, he gives us doable steps to take. It wasn't Simon and his friends that made this miracle happen. It was Christ made it happen. However, he gave them doable steps that were part of the lead up to the miracle he knew he was going to do. Doable step number one, put out into the deep. Any fisherman who has a boat knows how to do that. Doable step number two, let down your nets for a catch, things they could do. Jesus didn't tell them, okay, I want you to practice what I'm going to show you in a little while. I want all of you to get up and walk across the Sea of Galilee and back again. They were probably relieved he didn't ask them to do something quite that dramatic. He just said, put out into the deep. That's doable. Let down your nets. That's doable. And there might be a place in your life right now where the Lord, you know you need a miracle, You know you're not in yourself a miracle worker. However, the Lord might give you, if you pray, a doable step. Whereas he says to these fellows, put out into the deep. He may 
tell you something like, make that phone call. Make that phone call. Send that email. It's the doable step. And as you do what seems maybe a very ordinary, unspectacular thing, oh, crumbs, anybody can do that. Well, you put it in God's hands and you remember that he sent Christ and he's the one where when there's things outside our control, they're not outside his. But he gives us, he gives us the doable step. We need to ask in these days if there's some doable steps Jesus wants us to take. Observation three from Dr. Luke. You know, the author of Luke was a medical doctor. I've always found that intriguing. Matter of fact, when in the story of the woman with the hemorrhage, she had the hemorrhage for 12 years. Remember that one? And in Matthew and in Mark, it points out that she had gone to all the doctors and had not gotten any better. Luke leaves that out. Okay? He was a doctor. Lord of the fish in the sea, says Dr. Luke. His call overrides our condition. His call overrides our condition. Peter says, after he's seen this awesome miracle, the fish, he says, depart from me, Lord. I mean, what would possess someone to say to Jesus, depart from me? Well, one thing that would prompt us to say something like that is intense conviction of sin. Think of being face to face with Jesus and you're conscious of some significant sin going on. You might just say, depart from me as well. Depart from me, I am a sinful man. This recalls, I would argue, is probably deliberate on Luke's part. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5. Isaiah was in the temple. He's granted this vision of the manifest presence of God, visible. And you know what he says when he sees this? He doesn't jump up and down and say, Oh, goody, goody, I got some charismatic goosebumps. I had a vision. He says, Woe is me. I am undone. The Hebrew there says, <laughs> I am destroyed. Woe is me, I am destroyed. Isaiah became intensely conscious of some of his own stuff going on in his heart by seeing the holiness, the visible majesty of God. Now the same thing happens to Peter. And he says, Jesus, I can't cope with this. Just don't look at me. Just please go away. Now notice what Jesus says. The point we're seeing here is Christ's call overrides our condition. Jesus very easily could have sat Peter down and given him a you know, finger-wagging lecture. Peter, I've had to talk to you about these issues before. When are you going to get your act together? Come on, man. He could have said that. I'm sure he would have been entitled to say that. But what? But he doesn't say that, Jesus. He says something very different. You will be catching men. He almost, you know, he never skips over sin. 
Because he came to take our sin away by dying and rising again. And he does on a number of occasions in the Gospels give people, his own disciples included, very stern admonitions about repentance and choosing life, choosing righteousness. But here in this scene, he wants Peter to know that his Jesus' call overrides Peter's condition. And it overrides your condition. If you live to be 110 and fast and pray three times a week, you will still not be at a place where everything, everything, everything in your life is sorted. There's always going to be stuff. And if you're in the presence of God, you might become intensely empowered, painfully aware of that. And you might even still want to say, I can't handle this. Depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinner. None. But notice what Jesus says, and then we're going to move on to the final point. You will be catching men. Peter, perhaps, is very conscious of his past, past sin, who knows? Maybe there's still stuff kicking off in his life that Peter knows is not good. But Jesus points him somewhere else, the future. You're going to be catching men, Peter. I've got a mission for you, and you're going to do it. You're going to do it. How can that be? It can be because his call overrides our condition. If your condition really is plaguing you, that's a good thing, a good time to go and talk to someone. Hey, could you pray for me? Maybe I need some input over this part of my life. But in the meanwhile, don't let your doubts and don't let the devil take you out of the game because Christ's call calls us to something, to be to be catching men. Lord, bring it on. Let me, before I move on, I want to just highlight one little thing here. Um, I've been reading this book by John Piper. It's called Filling Up the Afflictions of Christ. And it's about missionaries that have gone to different parts of the world. One of them is a guy named Adoniram Judson. He ministered back in the 17 and 1800s in Burma, which is now called Myanmar. A dramatic stuff that happened in the man's ministry. But all his life, he was plagued frequently with depression. Go figure. Did that take him out of the game? Didn't seem to, because God had called him to be a fisher of men. He called out an iron Judson to, be some, to go and catch men. Christ's call overrode Adoniram Judson's condition, even his frequent problems with depression. If you struggle with depression, don't let that take you out. It doesn't need to. Finally, Lord of the fish in the sea, he is able, although this happened, this miracle happens on the sea, He is able to look after us on the land. They they catch these fish. The the catch is so abundant, the two boats are nearly sinking. They bring the boats back into land. This is why I referenced and and pointed out that how Luke, because he's a master of detail, he keeps mentioning these two boats. And they bring the boats to the land, brimming over with fish. And what do they do 
Do they hang up a sign saying, special today, fish half price or something like that? They didn't go to the market to make some money on the fish. They haul in these boats all of their equipment, all of their livelihood, and probably, I'm guessing, thousands of fish now in these boats, and they walk away. Go figure. They walked away from their investments. They, this was their livelihood. They walked away. They walked away from the results of this dramatic miracle. Now, if I were one of them, I think I would be thinking as I walked away following Christ, I think it, I wouldn't have to go very far before the doubts would try to muscle their way back into my mind. Hey, wait a minute. you got a family to feed. What about your investment, those ships and those fish and all of that? How are you going to look after that? How are you going to look after them? The doubts would be wanting to muscle their way in. Maybe you would have found yourself reacting the same way. I wouldn't be surprised, frankly, if some of the disciples in this actual historical moment, they were wondering before they got 100 yards down the beach, hey, wait a minute, (laughs) what are we doing here? Well, what kept them going? Why do we not read that they got a little ways down the beach and all of a sudden thought, hey, wait a minute, i got to be realistic. Jesus, I'll catch up to you. i got to go sell the boat, put the money in my pocket. Nothing like that happens here. So question to think about as we wrap up. What enabled these men to walk away from everything? The word there... This says everything. You know what it means? It means everything. <laughs> they walked away from everything. What was it that enabled them to do that and to set themselves knowingly into the middle of a whole bunch of uncertainties? I want to suggest this. The thing that enabled them to walk away is what the scene is all about, that the one, the things that are outside our control are not Outside his. A clever way to put it would be this. I think this is on the screen. This even rhymes. If Jesus is Lord of the fish in the sea, then Jesus is Lord of what happens to me. I made that up, you know. If Jesus is Lord of, of the fish in the sea, which, over which I have zero control, then Jesus is Lord of what happens to me. Let's summarize this and I'll turn it back to Peter. Lord of the fish in the sea. First thing Luke highlights here, things outside our control, and there's lots of those, are not outside his. Praise the Lord. Second, he gives us doable steps. Make the phone call. Send the email. Whatever it might look like. Three, his call overrides our condition. Think of Adoniram Judson. His condition didn't keep him home. It didn't keep him away from the mission field. His call, Christ's call, overrides our condition. And fourth, He's able to look after us, not just on the sea, but on the land. 
I'm going, to wrap, I'm going to turn over to Peter in a second. When I count to three, I want all of us to say my clever little poem together, okay? One, two, three. If Jesus is Lord of the fish in the sea, Jesus is Lord of what happens to me. 